Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I know you see two guys go out there, and I know you've been told your whole life about confidence, and you believe these guys are confident, and they got ice in their veins, and nothing rattles them. Zero of that is true. Every fight you see, both guys know, going to fight, who's going to win? What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. UFC 294 is here, everyone, and on today's show, I'm going to get it from every angle. We're going to go with Charles Oliveira pulling out, like I told you he would all along, to Kamara Usman supposedly popping his knee. I'm going to get you the top three fights on the card and so much more, guys, later today. But let's begin with some big news coming out of Bare Knuckle. Mike. Chael P. T-O-P. Chael P. Hey, buddy, I'm, I'm actually recording. I, I, I put, okay. Hey, I got to ask you a question, though. Okay. Uh, What weight class is this fight with Eddie? 75 it's uh in boxing it's uh i think it's middleweight in boxing okay but but 175 pounds is the weight class yes you up until three days ago were getting ready to possibly fight logan 
at, I believe, 185 was that weight class? 195. Okay, so what, I mean, where's your weight at? Is, is this a problem? I, mean, I, I went to Manchester. I was trying to weigh, I was around like 193 to 195. And then like two days of eating chicken salad and drinking water. I was 186 the morning of. I was actually going to go eat breakfast uh, to try to gain weight before I actually officially weighed in. But then we tried to make the Idris Virgo fight. Uh, and so I went ahead and weighed in at 186. Okay. And it, when you were out there, by the way, was there a time where you thought you were going in? Like, like was there a time once you arrived in England? Because I think you guys all travel the same time, meaning Dylan was in town too. Was there ever a time that you thought, hey, I'm going in, Dylan's not going to do this fight? All week they messed with me, um, even the night of the fight, because I didn't, I wasn't downstairs to go in the car at, what, 6.30. I was like, that's going to be too early. It's four hours before. They're like, Dylan's late, blah, blah, blah. It's like it's four hours to the fight. He's not going to be there exactly when you guys say. And um, so, you know, even up to the point I was dressed in the back and I was like, they're about to call us in. But, you know, Dylan, I thought Dylan was going to go fight. And I thought maybe it was my fault that I didn't go in a press conference and go, hey, Dylan, you're not facing off. You're not weighing in. This is this is my fight. I'm taking this fight from you. Uh, maybe, I mean, I just, I'm not that much of an asshole. I didn't want to have to, I don't know. So, you know, he showed up, he had his family. I was like, Oh, he's fighting. His parents are here and shit. Like he's going to fight. Um, but I was ready in the back. And then when they started fighting after the first round, I took my gloves and shit off. So, Okay. So, I mean, again, that was only uh, four or five days ago this weekend. You come back to the States. Is that when Feldman calls you and tells you this Eddie Alvarez thing is happening? Or did you know, did you have two matches lined up at once and just had to stay quiet about it? Yeah, I knew. Uh, I signed to Eddie Alvarez before I even went to Manchester and I was waiting for them to announce it. They said it was going to be him over a month ago, I think. So. Okay. And I know I keep beating on this drum. I just, I'm just so curious about that. I love this match. You know, I, I've seen enough fights, right. and I'm sure you can relate to that. But I only see very few fights where I actually I, I feel an emotion. And I, I yelled when I, I go, yes, when I saw this fight. But I, I'm, still, I'm still hung up on the weight class. 175 is perfect. You fought at 170. Eddie fought at 170. Everybody gets it. But, but I'm hung up on it. Did you guys argue? Did you want it bigger because you were doing the Jake Paul thing and Eddie wanted it smaller and you came in the middle? How did we agree on 175? Well, I definitely couldn't go lower than 175. And I did put on, a, I did put on some muscle to go up to 85 to fight Luke. I actually felt like I was cutting weight that week. I... I originally said to my manager, I was like, you know, because there's other guys calling me out, too, that were smaller. And I was like, well, come up to 185. Let me keep going at 85. But if I wanted the Eddie Alvarez thing, it was like I was going to have to cut the weight again. Uh, and I was like 175. You know, I fought twice at 175 in bare knuckle. Um, I was like, OK. But, and then it, it just kind of seemed like God worked it out where I was like, oh, damn, I'm in shape. I'm 186, 10, 11 pounds to 175 would be I would be so fast and so sharp at that weight. You know, let's just do it. I'm not I haven't been pumping the iron like that. Uh, I haven't I guess I was trying to eat, but I guess. My body wouldn't keep the weight on as I'm in such good shape right now. I did like 13 rounds yesterday. It's fine. Jeez. All right. Well, this is awesome, man. I appreciate you calling back. I wanted some of this info. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Good luck. I'll see you soon. All right, guys. So that was interesting for me. And I hope it, I hope it was for you guys. And let me tell you why I kept digging into the weight. I dug into the weight because... One thing that I'm not convinced that you guys are aware of is Eddie Alvarez's time at one championship. He had some fights at 185 pounds. So, and it, it was too big. Eddie's not an 85 pounder. I'm not fully convinced he's a 70 pounder. I know he's tough enough to go fight 70. He's a 55 pounder. He's a perfect 55 pounder. Now, when you start talking about 70 and 75 for 55, you're kind of saying the same thing. But when you start going into 185, we start to need a little bit of an explanation. Perry's last fight within bare knuckle against Luke Rockhold, okay? 
Perry's a great fighter. He's got experience boxing. He's got experience in bare knuckle. He's taking on a world champion. He's taking on a future Hall of Famer from 185 pounds. Perry's not big enough. That was a belief. When Perry showed that he was big enough, okay, great. One time. Now let's get you back to your weight class. Well, that wasn't the opportunity that presented himself. All of a sudden, he's not only went up against Luke, he's asked to go up another weight class to go in there with Jake Paul to 195 pounds. Logan Paul. But that's in line with Logan Paul. Logan has always been very honest, including the night that he fought Floyd Mayweather. I am bigger. That's my advantage. You are more experienced. That's your advantage. I'm willing to risk that I can nullify some of your benefits. Like it's it's one of these things where it's above board and it's acceptable. Dave Feldman doesn't do things that same way. Dave Feldman is going to put on championship matches. He's going to put on big main events. So the weight class is of paramount importance. It's of paramount importance to know who's taking the risk, who's screwing around, who cares and wants to win within a division, who's trying to get a paycheck. It's important, and we can figure out a lot of those things, even if some of it lends us to speculation, if we know the weight class. So now that we know it's 175 pounds, which is right where they both should be fighting at, that gives Eddie an opportunity to alleviate a lot of the outside stresses and fully focus on training. It gives Perry the ability to up his conditioning as a byproduct of pulling some of that weight back off. It's extremely important. I will tell you, if he would have told me 185 pounds or he told me 190 pounds, it would have deflated me a little bit. 175 pounds changes the entire dynamic. It lets us know everyone's serious. Nobody's here for anything other than victory, and that's what this match needs to be about. After talking to Perry, I'm convinced that it is. And he said he's not a very good martial artist. And I got to tell you, Pierre has felt off limits. For whatever reason, he's he's felt off limits. Like, I haven't seen him do anything wrong. I haven't seen him upset anybody. Even when he upset Izzy, he upset him for all the right reasons, which was competitiveness. And he showed sportsmanship by getting back in there with him and giving Izzy the same opportunity that Izzy had given him. Promptly left the division, took care of business there. Called out Anthony Smith that had something to do with grappling. Kind of caught everybody off guard. Didn't quite know where that was going. Watching it real closely. Waiting. I'm waiting to unleash the wrath on Alex Pierre. I never saw it. Never saw an opening. Put out social media things. It was very compelling. I mean, I've, I've watched this guy kick a soccer ball and then shoot it with a bow and arrow. I, I've watched him getting mitt work in while he's on a hoverboard. I mean, he's interesting. The guy's interesting. I watched him draw back on his son who tried to spook him. Did you guys see that one? His son's like waiting for him. He, co- he comes through the door late at night. The son jumps out. Rah! It scares him. And Alex, Alex doesn't flinch. Didn't he, he didn't do anything like that. Right? I mean, the guy's he's just really interesting. And I'm not even saying that this is scathing, by the way, but it's probably the most scathing thing I have heard. Even Anthony Smith, when he gets called out by Alex Pierre, it was like, hey, well, where's this coming from? Like, I got a good relationship with Glover. What what are you doing saying my name? I'm in. I'm in, by the way, but where, where's this coming from? Right? I mean, it's one of these things where nobody's really come after him. And Yuri Prohaska, who's not known to do anything interesting ever, has now said he's not a very good martial artist. I'm compelled by that because I would like to hear why. It just feels like to me, if a guy's a world champion, or even in Piera's current situation, the guy is a number one contender about to fight for a world championship in Madison Square Garden, I might add. <laughs> okay. The very venue that he, he successfully. Had titles before. I'm, I, I'm just sharing with you, like, I don't know what about that guy, but you could say he wasn't very good, I, and I would like to hear. 
I mean, you'd have to really be special to say he's not very good. Let me use Islam by example. Islam said a whole bunch of black belts should give their black belt back. They're not real black belts. The, the, the system that jujitsu lives under gives out too many black belts. He said, give me a black belt, I'll submit him, and I don't even do jujitsu. I'm not a black belt. I've worked out enough sambo just in the practice room. I will crush your black belts. And then he did. And you go, oh, okay. Like, I, I don't know if I uh, fully agreed with your statement that there's too many or this guy doesn't qualify as a black belt, but if you can go out and crush them, I guess you do have the right to make the statement. And if Yuri Prohaska is so good and so skilled that when he looks at Alex Pierre, he says, hey, that guy's not very polished. That's interesting to me. And I have heard nothing but great stuff about Prohaska from guys that have been in there with him. Guys that feel him. And there is a feel that you have that cannot be witnessed. The cameras don't pick it up. The announcers can't enunciate it. And I heard from C.B. Dalloway and King Mo separately that Yuri is special and that he's different. And when I watch his fight, which is the greatest light heavyweight fight I've ever seen, against Glover Teixeira, the fact that all Glover had to do was run out the clock. He, he had the math. He had the win. He had 30 seconds left. But Prohaska knew that, and he found a way. It's amazing. It's amazing. And now he's looking at Pierre and saying he's not, he's not very good. Pointed out his wrestling, pointed out what he does on the ground. From a pacing standpoint... Prohaska is very unique. But I would like to know what happened there. I mean, I've been in a back and forth with you guys from the time they stripped him of his belt. And I read the comment section. I read every comment that you guys make, all of them. You get responses or you get thumbs up. Or it's, it's all for me. Nobody else even has the codes. It's all me. But I do see a push and pull when I tell you that he got stripped. You guys love to tell me that he relinquished and he did not. That isn't true. He got stripped. But you guys love to tell me that he relinquished. Well, he did an interview today, the very interview that I'm talking about, where he said that Piera isn't a very skilled martial artist. And he said, I did not want to give the belt back. It was not my idea. That's a quote. But eventually I agreed. That's called being stripped. I mean, not for nothing, right? Who, who loves to say I told you so more than me? But according to Yuri himself, I told you so. Johnny Walker and Uncle Liam. This is very interesting to me. This is a colossal mismatch. And it's put in a very feature position of a pay-per-view, right? I mean, both guys' careers must be going along very well to have this placement. And I don't know where you get the rankings. I know they're out there. I also don't know why they matter as much to people as they do. But I will tell you, having made that comment many times over the years, I do acknowledge I'm in the minority. I, I fully understand that. But I'll stay there. Because the one thing that does matter is your placement on a card. That trumps rankings all to hell and gone. This is a business you're in it to make money. I mean, I'm just sharing for you, right? A lot of times those rankings and money, they go hand in hand. I understand that in theory, that's how it's supposed to be. But I will guarantee you, your placement on the card and money go hand in hand. Your ranking may and it may not. So, as I look at that and I look at these two guys, in an ever-forming light heavyweight division, like, I'm hearing when Rachik comes back that Rachik's going to come back at heavyweight, just by example. And I don't know when Jamal's coming back. So, and we don't know how long Pierre is going to stay here. Pierre appears to be a heavyweight or a light heavyweight, if not even a heavyweight. But he does continue to do interviews where he discusses 185 pounds. 
So it's one of these situations that we do need something meaningful at 205. And Johnny Walker at one point was very over with the audience. They loved him. That might still be the case. But I have been in arenas when Johnny has come in, whether it was to weigh in, whether it was to a press conference, or whether it was to fight, and I've heard the eruption from the crowd. There was losses that then took place. There was things that would derail you. There was momentum at that specific time, or at least at one specific time, to fast-track Johnny Walker. This is the guy we've been looking for. This is the guy to bring down John Jones. John has since left the division. All those discussions are long gone. But I'm sharing for you, as far as a matchup goes, this couldn't be clear, right? I mean, th- th- this would be this would be one of those things that we see in MMA all the time where somebody has to get caught, they have to get lucky. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. This would be one of the more shocking moments of 2023, and we've seen some great moments, but this would be one of the more shocking moments if Johnny Walker was to beat Uncle Liam. So then your question just comes, well, why did we make the match? Why do we make the match? Are we not trying to build Johnny? Are we trying to slow Johnny? Does it have nothing to do with that? Is that not even a factor when matches are made? Here's two available guys with alike rankings in the same weight class and the same dreams. Have them compete. I love that. I have no problem with that. But we know that there's politics and there is thought put into it. So for a matchup, it's a disastrous matchup. It's a it, Truly. There's really not much more than I could say than that. When we've seen weaknesses by Walker, they're the same weaknesses. Oh, and by the way, those weaknesses happen to be the absolute strengths of Uncle Live. So if we eliminate Walker and we elevate Uncle Live, that's hard for me to believe as a goal as well, considering. We already had Uncle Goliath in title fights, and we already had him in number one contender status and could have kept him and could have moved him along already. Didn't need to start him over and rebuild him to bring him up this ladder. Outside of Paul Craig, he's been completely invincible. I don't agree with the decision against Blahovitz. Blahovitz won three rounds. He lost two rounds. That's simple math for me. That's not the way it worked out. It ends up being a draw. But it was a draw that was met with disgust and even punishment. So now we're in a position where Uncle Liev, who for the North American audience is not as sought after of a draw as Johnny. So you're bringing in the more popular guy and you're putting him in a position where by the numbers and the evidence that you have, he's going to come up short by a lot. Or, or... You have the what if factor, and every promoter will ask himself that. What if? What if this guy wins? And if he wins, it's not going to be by a hair. It's not going to be by a split decision. He's going to have to catch him with something dramatic. A big knockout, a big cut, a big submission, right? As unlikely as these could be. But as I just look at that match, I, I can't help but tell you, I do wonder how we got here. It's 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 almost a matchup if you're in Johnny's position. Johnny's a fantastic fighter, by the way. He j- but he has a couple of things that he's still working to develop. We've seen that, right? That's been played out in front of us, and he wasted a lot of time in his career in Thailand. A number of fighters do that. They will waste their time kicking and elbowing and knee pads in Thailand, and you'll get in really good shape. Your body will look good. You'll have a nice time. It's Come on. This is vacation stuff. It's vacation. You could literally go online and book a vacation. You could book a Muay Thai-themed vacation. They'll fly you over to Thailand. They'll put you at a resort. You come out, you kick these pads out underneath the sunlight. This isn't hard. It's like these guys that go swimming or they, they ride bicycles. Like that's what You do that on vacation. You go on vacation, you rent a couple of bikes for your kids, you go jump in the pool. These aren't real things. As I look at the match, I just wonder, why? What do we plan to do here? It's, it's, it's very clear who should win. 
But if he does win, it also appears to be very clear that that's not the guy that you want to push too far. Because he doesn't have a full grasp or understanding of how to bring people in. A lot that I've said here, if you've stayed with me for the last seven minutes, I hope you heard it. But moreover, I hope you good students understand what I didn't say. Fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlays across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code CHAIL. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHAIL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to number 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. So Kamar Usman yesterday doing an open workout with Justin Gaethje. And Kamar hits a double leg, picks him up, brings him down to the mat. So now they're on the mat. Justin Gaethje, who's on bottom, instantly sits up, grabs his friend and partner and says, are you okay? Kamar Usman responds to that question. That clip instantly gets put on the interwebs, except with a quote from Kamar Usman answering the question where he says, no, I heard it pop. Now, the problem with that is Kamar did not say that. Kumar did not say and cannot be heard saying in response to the question, are you okay? No, I heard it pop. That didn't happen. Kamar Usman came out and he cleared this up. Luke Thomas responds to Kamar Usman clearing this up. Kamar saying, no, that didn't happen. My knee did not pop. I didn't say it popped. He actually thought that I hit my head and I didn't. I told him, no, I'm good. Not, no, I heard it pop. All right, fine. But Luke Thomas responds to that and says he, meaning Kamar Usman, could be saying that because it's totally true. He could also be saying that to stave off any commission officials looking into a perceived injury and potentially removing him from the fight. Boom. Luke's right. Real simple, but Luke is right. I don't know that we need to break this down. I feel as though this would be obvious to you guys, but it's not. Based on comments and other things that I read, somehow this isn't. Look, the commission will largely take you at your word. They really don't have much of another choice. Like, there's not a huge situation where you walk in and the commission goes, hey, how's your arm feeling? And you say, it's fine. The commission goes, oh my God, no, it's not. It's broken in three different places. Like, there's not really an ability to do that. There's an honor system. Now, your honor is going to be put to the test after you fill out the form and sign the bottom. If you lied on that form and committed fraud, it could put your license in jeopardy into perpetuity. I cannot tell you of a time. I know a number of fighters that have lied on that form, had the fight, come out immediately and said, I lied on the form just to get the fight. And they either do that to cover 
a loss as a built-in excuse, or you get the real scumbags that got a victory but want the world to know they could have done even better. And I've never heard of a commission ever coming back and saying, we, we did this for him and you signed it. But you could, in theory, it's what it's there for. Not to mention, if you did get hurt in the fight, you file an insurance claim and you go get the treatment and have that policy cover you when you openly were hurt elsewhere. I mean, you're committing fraud and crimes in a number of different ways. It's an extremely odd thing to do. But that is the checks and balances and you will be taken at your word. Are you okay? Yes. Can you find? Yes. That's our answer then. Check the box, sign here, date it in the bottom left. So if Kamar Usman was hurt and he thought that was on video and he's just so goddamn tough that he's going to go and fight a guy that nobody wants to fight. Nobody wants to fight Jemai with a full training camp. They still don't want him. And Kamar Usman's so tough, he will go to another continent and get licensed and compete at a weight class that he has never been in without proper preparation and with a knee injury to the point that he is going to come out publicly as a way of deceiving the commission. Like, all of those things are possible. Luke isn't wrong. It is one of the two things. He's either doing what I just stated or he's doing the other option that Luke gave him, which is he's just telling the truth. If you watch the video, at no point does Kumar Usman say, no, it popped. At no point does he reference a knee. I mean, that's one of the things that was so interesting about the people that chose to put out the video and run with it. First off, they said he said something that he cannot be heard saying, having said. And secondly, they chose knee. He didn't favor a knee. You didn't see him hit his knee. He didn't get up and grab a knee. He didn't say the word knee. They not only had a quote that he didn't do, they had an injury that he never spoke about. And I just share with you, that is the most awesome built-in excuse that I possibly have ever seen. And Kamar Usman could have said, I don't want to speak about it. I'm ready to fight. Hey, there'll be no excuses. He could have done a lot of things looking brave, said certain things to look brave, while very clearly allowing a narrative to exist that he, in fact, is hurt. That is how brave he is. That he is willing to lie if that's what it takes to get in there. That's how much he believes that the show must go on, right? There was ways he could have done that. It's just not what he did. Kamaru Usman, not, not only did he not do that, not only that built an excuse, he actually called the people that were giving him the excuse and or believed in the excuse crazies. He didn't want their support. He didn't want their excuses. He didn't want that feathered nest to fall on. To the point that he wasn't even nice about it. Then you had his partner, Justin Gaethje, come out. Justin cleared this up as well. And by the way, these are two guys who have a history of when they say something that's accurate, right? They they don't troll. They don't promote. They don't storytell. They get asked questions. They answer them honestly. So you now have the principals in the event telling you that's not what happened. We also have a video of it, and it's not what happened. But you have other people that post the video and then tell you what it says. That is fascinating to me. This isn't the first time. This isn't the first time. They will tell you about dinosaurs that existed 30 million years ago. Everything about them. How they lived, what they ate, where they mated. They can't tell you who shot JFK and that's on videotape. I mean, it's a really interesting thing. It's a really interesting thing for somebody in the media to put out a video and then tell you what's within the video. You watch the video. That's not what's within the video, but you've already read it and it says it was in the video. So then you believe the print as opposed to your lying eyes. It is an amazing thing. I can't think of a time that I've actually lived through and witnessed in person something like this. Here is a video. (laughs) But then there's a caption. 
The caption tells you what happened, even though your eyes and ears watch it tell you something else. But you choose to believe the caption because it came from somebody else. It was an amazing thing. And Luke Thomas is right. Either Kamara is shooting straight with us and the video that we heard and saw was not doctored. Or Kamara was so goddamn brave that he's willing to do this fight against a guy that nobody in the company will fight, even with a full training camp. Kamara said to hell with the camp, and I'll also fight him on one leg. One of those stories is correct. So I woke up this morning at 4.30, had to get the sleep out of my eyes, get the warm coffee down my throat, clear my voice a little bit, I was going on ESPN. And it was a split screen situation, right? You guys have seen this, where there's a host, that's where I came in. One side of the screen, Hazmat Shemayev, other side of the screen, Kamar Usman. We're talking co-main event, UFC 294, number one contenders match. And I asked a couple of things of Chemayev. And Chemayev was great. I mean, Chemayev is a lot of fun to be around. And Chemayev was there first. I'm having my coffee. He's sitting there in the hotel in Fight Island. We're, we're, we're having a little bit back and forth as we're waiting for Kamara. But as soon as Kamara popped on, there was a different Shemayev. The competitor came right in. I mean, you might as well flip the switch. And I asked Shemayev a couple of questions. Though. Like, by example, I just said, hey, 170 pounds, is that out of the picture? And he wouldn't say yes. He said he's going to win the championship at middleweight. I said, okay, but no more 170, right? This champ, champ stuff and going up to 205 and all, all this talk that we used to hear. And he was just very calm, said, Chael, brother, I am going to be champion at middleweight. And I said, okay, well, about that, Chemayev. So now Kamara's here, right? We're doing the split screen. But I, but I said that, I said, you know, about that. If you beat Usman and you become the number one contender, I said, you know, you're supposed to fight Paulo Costa. Paulo reveals to us that he had surgery on his elbow three weeks prior, cost him the fight, insert the former champion. But if you beat the former champion, Dana has announced that this is officially a number one contenders match. And that is something that he did not announce when it was Paulo Costa. So was that part of your negotiation, right? Like as much as Kamara is getting credit for taking it on short notice, you're also taking a different opponent on short notice. Did you demand that it was number one contender? He said, of course not. He was almost confused by the question, like genuinely. He said, of course, I demand nothing. And I said, Chemayev, give me a prediction. Are you going to beat Kamara Usman? He said, I'm going to smash everybody. He said, I, 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 I will smash everybody. I will maul him. And I said, well, let's look into how. One thing that you've always had an advantage of, again, I'm talking to Chemayev. Kamara's right there listening to us, but I'm talking to Chemayev. I said, one thing that you've always had an advantage over people is with the conditioning. You've weaponized pace. You've been able to put more attacks and more shots up against the board than your opponents, but that's also what Usman's known for. Not to mention, Usman has only and exclusively fought for the last half a decade in five-round fights. Three rounds, this is very easy for him. Can you rely on that same conditioning? And moreover, can you rely on the same wrestling? You're now taking on a national wrestling champion. First time ever. And he laughed. I don't know what to say. Just come here to smash the guy, man. So respectful for the guy, takes the fight, short notes, everything. I, you know, and they already has excuses. Not Usman, a lot of people say, but Usman takes the fight like a warrior, man. But people already say he didn't have a camp, this, that, man. So for me, it doesn't matter. I come, we finish everyone, man. So I don't care about it being the jam pump and or all these shits. We have to go to the cage and fight, you know. And at some point in there, he slipped in, I will finish him. That's a very big claim. Beating Kamar Usman is one thing. Finishing Kamar Usman? Particularly with what is most likely if there's going to be a finish, which is a submission. I don't think we've ever seen Kamara submitted, have we? And we saw we saw the head kick hurt around the world. And then there was some other fight. It was like Kamara's first fight ever before he was even within the organization. I, I don't know anything about it. I don't even know who the opponent was. But I can't even close my eyes and imagine Kamara Usman being 
caught in some kind of a wrestling, grappling type maneuver and having to say, uncle, it was a very interesting claim. I wanted to see this fight. I want to see this fight for years. I want to see it even more now. So now I go over to Kamar Usman. I said, Kamar, I've followed your whole career. I even followed your wrestling career in college and on the international level. I don't know of a time that you've ever called somebody out. I don't know of a time that you've ever lobbied behind the scenes and or publicly for a fight, but you did with Chemayev. Why? What is it about him? I think he's uh, I think he's a great opponent. He's as advertised. I think he's he's tough. He's uh, he's big. He's strong. He can grapple. He can wrestle. He can strike. And at this point, this season in my life, it's just a matter of taking on the biggest, baddest challenges. And so when I walk away from the sport, I know that I, I took down who's who of the sport. So I asked him a very similar question having to do with if he gets a victory and becomes number one contender and draws into Sean Strickland. Many people don't know if Usman and Strickland fought, it would actually be a rematch. They fought before Strickland was Strickland and before Kamara was Kamara. They fought of an undercard at a UFC at 170 pounds and Usman beat him. And it was a competitive fight. For sure, Usman won. He may have even won all three rounds. For sure he won, but it was hard. He worked really hard, and Sean's a lot bigger and a lot better and a lot more confident now. Interesting match. What do you think? Absolutely. I think since that fight, he's grown a lot. He's gotten a lot better. And and I think he's just settled into who he is as a fighter. And I look forward to that matchup because as he's grown, as of mine, I've grown a lot as well. So uh, I think that's uh, going to be a highly anticipated matchup for, for everyone to see. I asked Kamara straight up, right in front of Chemayev. I said, Kamara, are you going to win this fight on Saturday? Just like that. Are you going to beat this guy? And he laughed. <laughs> Good question, Joe. I like the way you worded that. Um, I think that's what we do. Just like he's planning to step in there and get his hands raised, so am I. He's prepared, and so am I. So on Saturday night, we're both going to step in there. They're going to close that door. And whoever's game plan starts to uh, unravel, the other opponent's going to have their end race. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure he's looking forward to it. And on Saturday night, the fans in the world finally get the matchup that they want to see. Both guys said, yes, I can beat this guy. And there's not very many fights that you have ever seen where both guys thought they were going to win. The best fights that you've ever seen are when both guys truly believe they're both going to win. But generally, you don't have fights that are lobbied for it and campaigned for, right? The guy lobbying and campaigning is proving that he thinks he can win. That's why he's working so hard to get it. I know you see two guys go out there, and I know you've been told your whole life about confidence, and you believe these guys are confident, and they got ice in their veins, and nothing rattles them. Zero of that is true. Every fight you see, both guys know, going to the fight, who's going to win? sometimes they get a big surprise, right? It's what dreams are made of. Sometimes one of them underperforms. But it is very interesting. And I do think, moreover than anything, that we really are going to have a number one contenders fight here. We get told that quite often going into a fight. And the second the fight is done, it will never be addressed again. It will never be talked about again as though it was never stated in the first place. And a lot of times when it's stated, it's only for one guy, but that guy is a clear favorite. So then when that guy gets beat, we sweep it. And I just don't feel that's what's happening here. Short notice fight. There's a lot on that. There's an appreciation put on that. When the fight got announced, boom, within 24 hours, it got announced as number one contenders match. I think we all know that's the track Chemayev's on. I think we're now finding out that's the track that Usman's on. But if Usman has a win over Chemayev and he's already beaten Strickland, there's not really a way to deny him. There's not really a way to say, you don't belong, you've only done this division once. And it wasn't even a championship round fight. Very tough to say when he's already defeated the champion plus Usman's a veteran. I don't think he's going to let it slide. I think he's smart enough to hold them, to hold the words that are being said today. The narrative today 
and make sure it stays alive in the post-fight interview, which is the mistake so many others don't do. They sandhag in their own career and they don't follow the sport. A lot on this. Jemayev says he's going to finish him. Kamara said I'm going to beat him. We'll find out on Saturday. Volkanovski versus Islam. You know, this thing happened so fast and it was so awesome. It was so cool that Islam didn't care who the opponent was. Bring him on. And it was so cool that Volk was in a position, mentally and physically, to go out and to compete with the best guy in the world for an opportunity to take his spot. I mean, you said you had two professional attitudes. It was an incredible thing. But what got missed because of the excitement, right? We get we get drunk on the excitement of this fight announcement. And fight announcements are very different when they're unexpected. Like that would have been a good fight, for sure. Vulcan in Islam, sure. But that opportunity was there. That opportunity has been sitting there since Perth, which was back in March. It's very different to announce it 11 days before unexpected. There's just something about that. And this has been tested before, like Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo at the time that happened and solely because of Conor McGregor, because of Conor McGregor's build and Jose Aldo's resume. I want to say he was like 11 years unbeaten, something crazy for Aldo. As big as that fight was, when it got interrupted, Jose comes out, oh my God, we just lost this massive fight. Oh my gosh. And you insert Chad Mendez, the numbers actually did bigger than projected for Aldo versus McGregor. And there had never been a backstory that involved Chad and Connor. There was something exciting about the last minute, the unexpectedness. And I share that with you because that overwhelmed the story, but there's still a story and I'd like to know what it is. By example... Who else was offered? Who got the call before Volkanovski got the call? Did Benny Darouche get offered? Justin Gaethje would have known very quickly. Very quickly he would have known. Not to mention he's there. He believes he's a number contender. He would have known. I could have been a weight issue where he couldn't make weight. Could have been I'm not interested in you. Could be that he wasn't offered, but he would have known. He would have known because Ali Abdelaziz, who represents Islam, would have known. And Ali also represents Justin Gaethje. So did Darush get the offer and said no? Did Gaethje get the offer and said no? I would be curious. I would like to know how that all works. Because there is something very meaningful about being a number one contender for me. There is something that has a history and a lineage about being a number one contender that dates back to boxing, but we take all of our cues from boxing. We were four or five years into this sport before anybody used the word training camp. We were literally the better part of a decade before somebody went out to a different location as they prepared for a fight. That's a boxing thing. We took everything from boxing. We had wrestlers that went over and did a great job in MMA. And in their entire wrestling career, including through the Olympic Games, they had never jumped rope today in their life. But now they're jumping rope every day, right? Because the boxers did it and they're looking in a mirror and they're moving around. I don't have a problem with it. I'm just sharing for you. We take all of our cues from boxing. But in boxing, number one contender means something. What does Charles Oliveira plan to do with it? He was told he becomes the number one contender if he beats Benny DeRouche. Benny DeRouche was told he becomes the number one contender if he beats... Charles Oliveira. Now, the history of our sport has something known as a last man standing clause. So for me, as soon as Oliveira bitches out, it goes to Benny. For me, that's not the way this game is played. I just argue that it should be considered to be played that way. Either way, Charles was told, if you win this fight, you become a number one contender. Charles won the fight. Charles is no longer the number one contender. And Charles is not positioning himself in any fashion to reclaim what was already his. In no fashion is he out there make-believing 
that he is going to contest with the winner of this match. As a matter of fact, it looks very much like Justin Gaethje will be doing that, which I support. I'm just wondering, before we got to this point, who was off for the fight? I mean, you, you must understand, if you have a number one contender and you offer him the fight, if he doesn't take the fight, you're now done. Like, your obligation is done. You, win this fight, right? Charles versus Benny. Win this fight, fight for the championship. Well, that, that's not an absolute the way that it sounds. What that means is if you win this fight, I will offer you, in good faith, a championship fight. Once, once you turn that down, we, we move on. And I would be very curious because I think that that would play to Gaethje. I think Gaethje hit it out of the park with his one sentence. Stop Dustin Poirier, get a title fight. Yeah, that sounds irrefutable. But get a world title fight means be offered a world title fight. I'm curious, was Gaethje offered this fight? You only have so many guys, right? I don't mean if somebody chickened out behind the scenes for whatever reasons that you dismiss them and find somebody else. You're going to do what's best for you. But there are certain situations where you can't do what's best for you. You've already made a deal. So you've got to honor that deal. I'm just clarifying for our audience that the honoring of a deal is to make the offer. If the offer is turned down, we have the right to move on. I don't think that anybody has proven that they should be and deserve to fight for a title more than Benny DeRouche. In spite of him losing his last fight, I still think that he is number one. I think he has the strongest argument, particularly when you understand that nobody wants to fight Islam. Islam, the contender, really couldn't get matches. It was very tough for him. Islam, the champion, just had a guy say no. Like, like th that's happening right now. Islam can't get matches. So as I make my case for Benny Darush, whatever you say to counter that, I am going to come in and play the card that Benny Darush agreed to fight Islam. That fight was signed. That fight was broken up at a press conference <clears throat> where Dana White says, I was going to make the fight, and Joe Rogan just grabbed me in the back told me not to make the fight. I would love to get an elaboration on that. But the bottom line is, he already agreed to do it. And it wasn't for money, and it wasn't for fame. I think it was a main event, but it wasn't even on a pay-per-view, just by example. There was no title. He just agreed to do it. That's the name that came out of the hat. I think he has the strongest argument. But I'd like to know, was Volkanovsky the first guy called? I'm not kicking shade on anybody, by the way. Like, if we find out the guys turn it down, I don't have a problem with that. I would just be curious. Was he the first guy called? What did the list look like? If he hadn't said yes, Volkanovsky, who were we going to call next? Considering Gaethje was already going to be there and went through a full training camp as... Right? It would seem as though that would be a guy. It would seem as though Charles is... Or I apologize, Benny is right in there. And it would seem as though, as far as Charles Oliveira goes, the irony of him not understanding this situation... I mean, Charles Oliveira, who complained about it being in Abu Dhabi, over and over, it was a very big deal to him. He complained about it being in Abu Dhabi. That was a home field advantage for Islam, who does not live in Abu Dhabi, who has never lived in Abu Dhabi. Either way, this was his complaint. The irony there is Charles was only being given the opportunity because it was in Abu Dhabi. There is zero chance, and I do mean zero, that that fight takes place at Madison Square Garden or T-Mobile or the forum, or anywhere within the states, or anywhere that the organization regularly plays. It had to take place in Abu Dhabi, or it doesn't involve Charles. So passing on the opportunity and believing that Islam is going to contest and defend somewhere other than Fight Island eliminates Oliveira from contention. And it's one of those Sandhagen moments where I'm not convinced he's aware of any of that.
Volkanovsky was doing media and he just made a comment about Islam. And he said, if the roles were reversed, this fight wouldn't be happening. If I was the guy, if I was the world champion, and Islam got a call to come off the couch on 11 days notice, make the weight, go out here and risk it, he wouldn't do it. Now, I don't know that that's true, and I suppose we'll never know. I'm more speaking to the mindset. Like, if you guys didn't see this press, they call they call it a scrum. I got to tell you, I hate the word. I hate the word scrum, and I don't know who created it, but it's what it's called. And if you didn't see the scrum, I, I would like to at least kind of bring you in to what was said and what wasn't said. And by the wasn't said, there was implications there, and there was a body language and a tone that if you missed it, allow me to attempt to recreate because Volkanovsky had an anger. It wasn't huge. He wasn't rude, but it existed. And the reason I tell you that, I love their fight in Perth. I loved it. There are little things that will cost you big. One of the reasons there was not an immediate rematch, right? It's not as though the UFC has anything against doing rematches. They were going to give Charles one. That nobody, and I'm speaking for North America, right? Obviously, there was obviously some other demographic in a different part of the world that I just can't relate to. I don't have my thumb on it, but I can tell you in America, nobody wanted to see that fight. It was three to one the first time they did it. Which means people don't want to see the fight, right? If you got a main event world title fight that's three to one, you have a problem. It's now four to one. There were seven and a half minutes of action. All seven and a half minutes were won by the same guy. This is not to pick on Charles at all. By the way, please, I'm attempting to let you know the UFC is not against doing rematches. It's not as though, hey, now, hey, well, look, hey, we got to get some fresh blood in there. And I get it. And boy, you guys, oh, that was a great one. But got to spend some time just like everybody else. That's not the situation at all. They're clearly not against doing rematches. But you, you, you had two options. A really close and even controversial match versus a lopsided ass whipping. When the odds makers tell you it's four to one, they're telling you we don't want to see the match. I'm just letting you know, like, there's an actual human element in psychology that goes into it. We want to see close matches. We want to see a coin toss. We want to see the two, right? It's, it's one of these spots. Let that go. That, that actually isn't the hill that I want to die on here. So before you go and leave me a comment, just push that aside. But, but keep it in mind, because one of, if not entirely, the moment that killed the rematch for Volk versus Islam was a video that I believe was produced by the UFC. I could have that wrong and somebody came back there with their iPhone, but there is a video in the locker room of Volk and company going into Islam's locker room and doing the handshake and the high five and the hug. And first off, that takes any steam, any edge whatsoever off of the fight. And you are left with the idea that you had a very competitive fight that people would like to see again from a competitive standpoint. That's very helpful. That's more than most other people would have. But it still deflects. It's still a fight. And two guys smiling and hugging and happy in a locker room is problematic. Because if you're going to do a rematch, the gentleman who came up short must portray to the audience Frustration, anger, even pain. He cannot, after losing, demonstrate to the viewer how happy he was with the performance. What a great job we did as opposed to I was so close and I let it slip. Oh my goodness. And I bring that to you in case you guys saw it. And a lot of you did see it. And you never thought of what I just said until now, right? It came in subliminally. And now you're going, well, Chael, you're right. You're right. I did see that. And I didn't like it. And that was followed the very next day with accusations of cheating, accusations of USADA violations. 
So now we're getting a little steam back. We're getting a little heat back, even though not a whole lot was done with that. But it was very tough to imagine the steam and the heat through words on Twitter juxtaposed against a video where you're, you're hugging and high-fiving. Now, I'm not giving these guys a hard time. I'm sharing with you that I, like you, was left with that memory. So to see Volk during his media scrum, angry. And he wasn't rude. He wasn't doing profanity. He wasn't making threats, to, but he was angry. He wants the fight. He doesn't want the comparison. He doesn't feel that they're equal. In fact, he made that very clear. If the roles were reversed, he wouldn't do what I'm doing. Now, I'm not telling you that that's right. We wouldn't know. If I was to guess, as a matter of fact, if Islam could make the weight class, I think that he is that kind of guy. Not the point. The point is the attitude of Volkanovsky, and it's very different then right after the fight video, we're there in the locker room and they're showing a level of sportsmanship like little kids after a t-ball game. I remember that. I used to play little league t-ball. And regardless of the score who won, we had to get in a line and we walk right down the line past the other team, right? Good game, 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 good game. It's one of these things, right? It's sportsmanship. It's good. It's important. But in the fight business, it's, it's not helpful for promotion. So I'm just, I love the attitude of Volk. And I've been on board with Volk for a long time, as you guys have too, and as you know. But as I'm getting to know more and more about him, he's everything I thought he was, plus, right? He's a song that I really like that got turned up. And he's not crazy happy. And he's not here to cash checks. He's not here just for the chance or to gain a little favor with the company. He's here to beat Islam Makhlchev. That is helpful for fight players. All right, guys, that's it for today's program. Thank you for listening. And to everyone on our Spotify page, like this comment from Sam who says, your show inspires me. Thank you for the great content. Well, thank you for listening to it, Sam. Enjoy UFC 294 and come back Tuesday for my full reaction. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Welcome.